0: many of you are glad to be here tonight and we all have our little preacher tricks you didn't say amen I was going to ask you how many would rather be here than be audited that's an amen isn't it yeah always a way to get something out of you if you want to Um, we're going to look at Psalm 16 tonight and we're going to uh, finish it up and uh, I don't know about you but uh, I have never been uh, all through my life, just entirely comfortable with death. I don't know about you. Some people it doesn't seem to bother. It kind of bothers me. Um, I've told you this before, but when I go to do a funeral somewhere and the funeral director says, Reverend, that creeps me out. And uh, then they say, Would you like to go into the chapel? And yes, I, I would. Uh, I'll lead you this way. No, thank you. I'll just walk down the center aisle. I don't want to see nothing. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to take a shortcut. I don't want anything to do with any of that. Anybody here kind of like that with me? I just, I don't care for it. It creeps me out. And uh, I know there's nothing to it. I know those people are not there. I know they're either in heaven or hell. And I I know that, but I'm still just kind of creeped out by the whole thing. And I think it goes back to uh, maybe some of the TV shows and things I watched when I was a little kid. And uh, I remember one time... When we were stationed in Virginia, my dad had a seminary friend that was a pastor in uh, North Carolina. And we went down there, and we were going to do a lot of fishing, and we did. Still got pictures of that and all the fish that we caught. But uh, this guy, uh, he pastored a church, one of those little white churches. And it's there in the south with the big trees, with the moss hanging down on it. And right behind my bedroom window where I stayed was a cemetery. And it was one of those old cemeteries with the big headstones and the moss hanging down and all of that. And I dreamed all night that there were hands coming up out of the dirt and things coming after me. And i just never been comfortable with that. The first funeral I went to was my great-grandmother's. And I was a little bit kind of creeped out by her anyway. She had... uh, uh, she was pretty old, and she uh, had. Uh, she wasn't thinking real clear, she didn't know who I was, she said a lot of weird things, and when I went to the funeral, uh, we walked in, it was an old Victorian creepy house in uh, Rogers, and we walked around to the back, not the front, and they took us in, and they put the family, you know how they used to do that, you would be back in this special room, you know, I don't like special rooms in those kind of things, I'd rather be out where the Living people are, and uh, they opened up this curtain or something, and I remember there was the casket, and they left it open the whole time. Well, I was ten. can you imagine what my imagination was doing and what I was thinking on all of that and uh, it just i 've never really liked it, and it 's strange that I have to do funerals and have to be around that and I love ministering to the to the families, but uh, i 'm not one of those that uh, really uh, comfortable with death. And I, I think there are several different reasons why, but I don't know very many people that are. We usually try to avoid it. That's why we wear seatbelts and change the brakes on our cars and put good tires on our cars. We say, oh, I'm ready to go to heaven, and then we put new brakes on our car. Maybe we're not quite as ready as we think. There's something that God has put into all of us, uh, an instinct for survival, I was with a lady in Tuttle who was uh, in her final hours and uh, I was in her living room and uh, came to pray with her and the hospice people were there and I was asking the hospice nurse how how do you know what all's happening and uh, she began to show me the lady's fingernails and they had turned blue and then she showed me her feet and they were turning blue and she said it's amazing the way we're designed said, even though this lady was in a coma, her brain was still doing everything it could to stay alive. And so it was pulling the blood and everything back from the extremities to keep the core organs alive. And so you can live without your fingers and toes, but you can't live without your heart and your lungs and that type of thing. And it was just amazing to think that that survival instinct that God has given us was still intact even though she was not conscious of it at all. And uh, when I had my heart failure, I was having some trouble with other things besides my heart. And the uh, doctor told me that the heart is the engine of the body and the body will let other things go even though I was still very much alive. It would let other things go, digestion and those kind of things in order to protect the heart. And so God has made us To live, to want to live, to celebrate life. We celebrate birthdays. And um, we are uh, doing everything we can to protect ourselves, to protect our family and, uh, you know, all of those kind of things from disease, from bad guys, whatever it might be. In war, we always want to protect ourselves. I think that's only natural that we should want to live. And so uh, when I think about dying... I know that I'm going to die, you know that you're going to die, but I don't think about it very much. I don't think about it during the day, hardly at all, unless, you know, something comes up. And uh, I don't really think about how do I want to die just a whole lot. Do you ever do that? And uh, I think that it would be nice just to do one of those things where... You live to a nice old age and you're still mobile and you still have all your mental capacities and then you just go to sleep and then you wake up in heaven and go, whoa, how did I get here? I mean, that, that would be great. But we don't always get to write the script, do we? We don't know what's going to happen or how we're going to die. And as David writes these last few verses in Psalm 16, he's writing about the concept of death and yet he writes about it in a happy and in a joyful way and i would uh, have to say if i were writing this i probably like i told you before would not be writing it quite in the same way that david does david does but i need to and i need to get this and i need to have a different view about death and have a different view about the end of life and aging and growing old and all of that because we don't want to be like the world the world is terrified about all of this in fact in the book of Hebrews it says that the weapon that Satan has used and it's been robbed from him now has been fear of death people are terrified about dying now when I went in for my heart surgery um, I wondered what I would be like I wonder is my blood pressure going to be through the roof am I going to be just sweating bullets and all of that kind of thing and the truth of the matter was I really wasn't. I was pretty calm and relaxed in that because I was thinking they're gonna put me to sleep. Whatever happens, I'm not gonna feel anything. And if something does happen and I die, I'm gonna be in a state of, of sleep and I'm just gonna go straight to heaven. And I, you know, you can't beat that. That's a that's a really, really good deal to die like that. And so I was pretty calm about all of that. And yet, I wasn't really wanting to die. I was anticipating waking up and getting well and and resuming life. Uh, What do you think of when you think about death? What do you think of if the doctor were to tell you this next week it doesn't look good or something like that? What would your reaction be? And uh, we all know the Kubler-Ross stages of grief. And uh, you would probably have some degree of those things. And you would probably want to do whatever you could to try to live longer, to try to be cured. You would go through. It's amazing what people will go through in order to get well. Some of you have been through those kind of things. And uh, so there's a natural instinct that God has put in us for survival. And yet at the same time, in the Christian's heart, death is not something that we should be afraid of. Okay? Okay. So when I say those things that I'm talking about, I'm really not afraid to die. I'm a little bit concerned about the process. Does that make sense? I I mean, I don't want to hurt, and I don't want it to be long and drawn out or anything like that. And uh, David would probably say, uh, get over it, because you know you're going to die. Everybody is, and you've got to be ready for it. You've got to be ready for it, not just in terms of going to heaven, but to be at peace with the concept of death and the process of death. And David writes about it here in uh, the 16th Psalm. Now, some people, I've I've read some things and even heard some people preach, they say that Old Testament believers really did not have a concept of, of the resurrection or of eternal life. I said that's a New Testament thing. But uh, I, I beg to differ. I think Old Testament believers did have hope of resurrection. For example, in the book of Job, chapter 19, verse 25, Job said, For I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand on the earth. Sounds like a resurrected Savior to me. He didn't fully understand it, but he writes about it. And he said, and and after my skin is destroyed, in my flesh I will see God, in Job 19.26. Uh, that's, that's quite a statement, isn't it? In fact, uh, some of you may remember the old hymn that said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and on the earth again shall stand. I know eternal life He giveth that grace and power are in his hand. Remember that? That's right out of Job. That's an Old Testament scripture, and a New Testament Christian hymn was written on the basis of that, so there's indication that they did know. In Isaiah 53, I love this chapter, and it describes the substitutionary death of Christ for sinners like us. And it says in Isaiah 53, 10, Yet it pleased the Lord, the Father, to bruise him, he hath put him to grief, when thou uh, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he the offering shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Now that's speaking of Christ. He's going to be put to grief. He's going to be a substitute for sinners. He's going to be punished for our sin. And yet, he's going to see offspring, children, and he's going to prolong his days. That's speaking of the concept of resurrection. Jesus would not stay dead, but he would come out of the grave. And then, through his death, burial, and resurrection, he would have offspring, children. That's who we are, the children of God. And uh, then, he said, he will prolong his days. Well, I guess he will, because he's going to live forever. And he's never going to die again, and never be put to an open shame the book of hebrews says and then in isaiah 26:19 your dead shall live how clear how much more clear does it need to be your dead shall live their bodies shall rise and you who dwell in the dust awake and sing for joy can you imagine? I wonder if that's making a reference that when the Lord comes in First Thessalonians 4 and the trumpet of Gabriel sounds and then the shout of the archangel takes place and the dead in Christ shall rise. I wonder if you were at the cemetery when that took place which would be kind of exciting. That'd be kind of cool to see all of that and see all of the believers come out. I wonder if that indicates that they're going to come out singing. Can you imagine? Uh, oh, grave, where is your victory and death? Where is your sting? Uh, that type of thing. I don't know what it would be. It might be He is Lord, uh, like we just sang a while ago. I don't know, but Isaiah indicates the command is going to be that sing when you're coming out of the dirt. And uh, that that's going to be an exciting, exciting day. And so all of these verses that we read are not New Testament verses. They're Old Testament verses. So if you ever hear anybody say, well, I don't think the Old Testament people really knew anything about resurrection or an afterlife or anything, you might take them to those verses, especially that uh, last one that we looked at in Isaiah 26, verse 19. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise, and you who dwell in the dust awake, And sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light. And the earth will give birth to the dead. And so that's. that's, I don't don't know. That sounds clear to me. But uh, Psalm 16 verses 9 through 11. Is really 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 clear. Here's what David says. Therefore my heart is glad. And my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. That's the abode, the Hebrew word for the place where the dead go. A grave. Sometimes it's translated hell, but better translated the grave. You will not leave my soul in the grave, in the abode of the dead. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's an important phrase. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore well isn't that beautiful and that is telling us where david has hope he knows he's going to die he's threatened with death even as he stands we don't know what the situation is in this psalm as you remember from the introduction but it must have been bad And it must have been treacherous. And yet David is looking at all of it uh, like, uh, I'm not really terribly worried about it. Even in his Old Testament limited sense of understanding, he had more faith than I do. And he kind of got that and he kind of understood it. And we've got to quit acting as believers. You know, we pray for people to get well and we should. And we ought to expect that. God does miracles But when they die, we act like somehow it's a defeat. Well, it's not for them. They're in the presence of the Lord. uh, Absent from the body. And what? Present with the Lord. How is that a defeat? That's everything God promised. And so we've got to rejoice. And that's why in Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, Better is the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. Because when you're born, you come out of your mother's womb into pain and sorrow and trouble and agony and betrayal and hurt and loneliness and need and want and all of those kind of things. But when you go to heaven, you're going to a place where you will never, ever face any of that in any form ever again. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more crying, none of those kind of things. Remember what John said. And so we need to have more of a perspective of rejoicing kind of like David did. This is a happy section of scripture. He doesn't write that it's not depressing at all. It's not down in the mouth at all. It's not the kind of thing to say, well, I guess if I have to die, it's better to go to heaven than to go to hell. But man, what a what a mess here. David knows that because he is a sinner, he is going to die, just as you know and I know that we're going to die and everyone we love and everyone on earth and everyone ever born is going to die. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And we tend to focus more on the wages of sin instead of the gift of God in that verse and in the way that we live. And so uh, David would say, snap out of it. Get the right perspective. You're not thinking about this the way you should because none of us are going to escape death unless we live to that day when the Lord returns and calls us out. And uh, how did David face death same way we should face death and the first thing that I would say is he faced it with a firm foundation something he could stand on now there's a lot about death I don't know and I don't understand I don't know what it feels like to die and you don't really either and uh, some of the people that have come back and said oh I died on the operating table and I came back I don't really trust their testimonies a whole lot because I have read where lost people, pagan people, have said, oh, I died and I saw a bright light and it was peaceful and calm and I saw a rowboat and Jesus is coming to get me and that kind of thing. I I don't know what your brain does. I don't know how to explain all of that, but I don't buy it because that's not what the Bible says. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And uh, these people that are lost... They've got judgment. They've got something terrifying awaiting them. So I I don't buy all of that kind of stuff. I'll just go by what the Scripture said. And when, you know, a few years ago it was popular for people to write these books. Uh, A pastor in Texas did it, and then a little boy did it. I went to heaven, and I saw all of these kind of things, and then I came back. And, uh, you know, and the title of the book is Heaven is for Real. Well, I don't need a book or a movie or a testimony To know that heaven is for real. I've got the book. The Bible that tells me heaven is real. And John described it plenty well for me. In the book of Revelation. And uh, I'll just take the infallible. Inerrant all sufficient. Eternal word of God. As the truth. And I know heaven is real because the Bible tells me so. Amen? And that's where we've got to stand on all of this stuff. Well, David had a foundation here. What do I base that on? Because he uses the word in here, therefore. And what, what do we do when we see the word therefore in the Scripture? We look to see what it's there for. It's referring back to what has been mentioned above it. Now, you remember... In the verses we looked at last week, David was rejoicing in the fact that the Lord was his counselor. And we looked in Psalm 119, and we saw that the counsel of the Lord is the Scripture. That's how the Lord counsels. That's how he advises. That's how he guides. That's how he corrects. That's how he trains us. It's always through his word. And so David could face death with an optimistic and almost cheerful manner because he knew what the word of God said and he was so full of the word of God Spurgeon said one time he said I would like to be so full of the Bible that if a mosquito bit me he would find that my butt my blood would be biblene it's a nice word isn't it bibline? and uh, we want to be full of the word of God and uh, David was like that so full of the word of God that he said when I lay down in bed at night my heart instructs me he was meditating on the word of God and how it should guide his life how it should correct him there were certain things that David was supposed to stop doing other things he was supposed to do and then there were things he needed to know how to do it and it was thinking on the word of God that got him ready as a king to do all of the kingly duties that he had and so, with all of that came the idea that he didn't have to be afraid to die. He didn't have to be afraid of the afterlife because he had a firm foundation built on the Word of God. And so, my counsel to you tonight is find out what the Word of God says about death, find out what the Word of God says about the afterlife. Don't make assumptions. Don't go by a song that you heard or a sermon that somebody preached. Find out for yourself what God has to say about it. We have far too many things that come into our minds because of a poem we read or something that somebody quoted or something that somebody said. And we go, you know, doesn't the Bible say somewhere that this and this and this happens? Find out for sure. And that way you won't be afraid whenever that day comes as it's going to come. We've already said that. So David had a firm foundation. Do you have a firm foundation? And what is your foundation? Is it simply because you're stubborn and you refuse to give in to fear? Or is it because you have the precious promises and the presence of God to settle your soul knowing that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? There was a guy, uh, any of you remember Andy Brum? From a long time ago. When he preached for me at First Baptist Church of Chelsea. He uh, had spent some time in prison in Michigan. And uh, he trusted Christ after he had been a criminal. And he was a product of rape. And uh, you know all of that kind of. Had a horrible, horrible upbringing. And uh, he was robbing a convenience store up in Michigan. And as he pointed his gun at the, the young girl who was working the cash register. And he said, you better give me the money now or you know what's going to happen. And what rattled him is she looked at him and she was a believer and she said, sudden death, sudden glory. And he couldn't handle it. And he dropped his gun and ran out. And that's what started the process that the Lord used to bring him to uh, be a believer. Well, what if we all had that outlook? What if we were like the Corey Tinbooms? Boom's ...of our life where we were able to stand up against terror... ...and we were able to stand up against the, the things that would cause anybody to have fear... ...and we could do it with such faith. And we read about uh, in Fox's Book of Martyrs and books like that... ...about uh, our forebears in Christianity and how they were able to stand up to death. I read uh, just the other day about a lady who was such a witness for Christ... Uh, in England and uh, the preaching the gospel was illegal there and uh, they didn't want her to talk and so before they took her to be burned at the stake they literally took a screw and put it through her tongue and screwed her tongue to the roof of her mouth so that she couldn't talk and she couldn't say anything. How did people do that? How did they go through that? How did some of those people, when they were taken on their way to be burned at the stake, can you imagine Uh, much more horrific way to die and while they're going they are singing and encouraging the people that are watching them there to trust the Lord if they were able to and uh, how could they do that how could they die with hope in their hearts like that it's because they had a firm foundation and the Bible tells us that the firm foundation on which our life is built is Christ and Christ is the one who knows how to die because he's done it. He knows how to handle death because he's been there. He knows how we feel about death because he himself has gone through it. He is sympathetic toward us. And he is able to give aid to us when we are tempted. He is a sympathetic high priest. And so he knows. And he'll give you everything that you need. And going back to Corey Timbum when she was... Uh, in a concentration camp in Germany. Uh, put in there because she and her family were hiding Jews. And saving their lives during the Holocaust. And uh, there were a couple of things that uh, kind of come to my mind when I think about her. Uh, she was in a, a concentration camp. I think it was Ravensbrück. And uh, the lice there in their beds and in their clothes. And where they live was just horrible. And Cory. Kind of struggle with that. How could God, after we've tried to serve Him and to help His people, how could He put us in a place like this? And her sister, who did not survive the concentration camp, was always encouraging Corey. She was the strong one. And uh, told her that you were supposed to give thanks in everything, so give thanks for these lice. God has a purpose in the lice. And it kind of made Corey mad. She kind of resisted that. But later in life, she said she realized it was the infestation of lice that kept them from being molested sexually by the German soldiers. When she realized that, she was able to say, Thank you, God, for the lice. And so many times, that's the way life is for us. In James chapter 1, we're instructed, Count it all joy. That doesn't mean you're going to have this joyous feeling just come over you. You've got to, by an act of your will and by faith, you count it, you consider it all joy because you know God is working in all of that. The other thing I think about with uh, Corey Tim Boom is she was uh, going through a particularly rough time in that concentration camp. The Germans could be particularly brutal. And um, as bad as they were with Jews... Sometimes they were actually worse to people that were non-Jews. How could you possibly help these vermin as they considered them? And uh, you're worse than the Jews, they would say. And they would be harder on them. And it was getting particularly rough. And she said to her sister, she said, Betsy, I'm afraid I'm going to deny the Lord. I don't have the strength to stand up to all of this. And Betsy said, do you remember, Corey, when we used to take the train to Amsterdam And she said, yes, I do. And she goes, and you remember, Papa always had the tickets. He bought the tickets and he kept them. When did Papa give us the ticket? And Corey said, right as we were getting on the train. She said, you didn't need the ticket until you got on the train. And Papa gave you the ticket right when you needed it. And God will give you the grace right when you need it. Have you ever been worried about denying the Lord? How could you stand up if persecution ever came And let me just assure you, you can't, but God can, and he will give you what you need when you need it. You don't have it now. You don't have dying grace now, but you'll have it when the time comes. You don't have the grace to stand against persecution right now, but you'll have it when the time comes. And so trust your Father is what David would say and understand that your foundation is not you and it's not a psychological thing or even a medical thing that uh, this whole idea of death and dying, our foundation, is the Lord Jesus Christ who has been through it and He came out on the other side. That's what we celebrate at Easter. He is a living Savior. He knows what it's like and He will carry you through it and that ought to give you what uh, David had a firm foundation now the second thing that I notice here is David faced all of this with fullness notice what he says my heart is glad what are you a nut what are you living in denial what kind of a weirdo are you to be happy when you think about death David would say no I'm just right with God And that's where our hearts ought to be to where when we think about death, we think about it being the last enemy to be destroyed, that Christ is going to deal with it one of these days and death will be no more, that its hold on us is only temporary and that it's nothing to be uh, feared because, again, to be uh, sudden death, sudden glory, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's what ushers us in to the presence of the Lord Jesus. So David faces it with, with fullness. My heart is glad. Now look at this. And my glory. My glory rejoices. What is your glory? I think the ESV helps us understand it. The English Standard Version says. Instead of glory it says. My whole being rejoices. David looked at all of this. And said everything's going to benefit. What does that mean? Well as you know. I've got some heart problems, and uh, I've got diabetes, and I've also got some, uh, I don't have eye problems. I know everybody always asks me, how are your eyes? My eyes are fine. My problem is my optic nerve is not good. That's what's dying. That's what's thinning out, and they can't really fix that, okay? Now, just picture this. Here's Greg on his deathbed, and the angels come up, And gather around me. I don't know how it's going to be. I'm just thinking of Luke 16. It talks about the angels carrying the beggar Lazarus to heaven. So I just kind of use sanctified imagination. And I picture it. I'm laying there. And uh, maybe I've got family around me. I hope so. And uh, doctors may be there. Nurses may be there. I may be hooked up to all kinds of tubes and machines. I I don't know uh, how it's going to be. I mean, again, I don't get to write the script. But I can imagine. And I can just imagine all of a sudden I'm aware not only of the physical beings but the spiritual beings around me. And all of a sudden I realize angels are surrounding my bed. Can you imagine? And the chief angel says, Greg, it's time. Let's go. And I can imagine as I leave and I'm escorted by that honor guard of angels. You ever thought of it like that? an honor guard of angels as they escort me out of that place and from this earth into heaven. Now, I don't know what that's going to be like, but I do know this. The instant my heart stops, I have no more heart problems. I'm cured of diabetes, and my optic nerves are made whole, and I'm going to be able to see clearly because it's amazing how death cures disease, isn't it? And that's what David is talking about here. That my whole being rejoices because uh, does your back hurt? Do your knees hurt? Do you have arthritis in your hands or in your neck? Do you have different things that don't work like they're supposed to, can't hear? I think about uh, Mama Lou and I think about her hearing. And on that moment when the Lord calls her home, deafness is cured. Right? Blindness cured. Leukemia is cured. Cancer is cured. All of that stuff is cured. And so David says, look, I look at that and my body gets excited. I remember hearing Junior Hill when uh, he weighed uh, like about 350 pounds and lost a lot of weight. He's still alive, by the way. He's quite old, but he's still alive. And uh, I think when he was preaching here one time, he talked about it. And he said that he was at someone's house, and he ate a meal, and it was a good meal. And then the hostess said, "Uh, Brother Junior, keep your fork. And you know what he said? He said, every fat cell in my body broke out in the hallelujah chorus. (laughs) Because I know exactly what that means. When they say keep your fork, it means the best is yet to come, right? And so he uh, said they had cake or pie or something like that, and... Oh, it was just wonderful. His whole being rejoiced because he was going to have dessert after a good meal. And David is saying that heaven is like the dessert. Here we are in life, and here we are going through the trials of life. And David didn't always have an easy time, even as king, did he? And when this was all going to be over, when he thought about it, his heart was glad. In fact, his whole being rejoiced. Because those arthritic knees knew that, hey, it's going to be over. And that weak heart knew it was going to be over. And those bad eyes knew this is going to be over. This is not a permanent state. And so he looked at death as release from all of the trials and the problems, even physically for his body. And so he says, my glory, my whole being rejoices. And then he says, my flesh also rejoices. We'll rest in hope. Now, when we think of rest, we think of dying. Rest in peace, we say. You know, uh, be careful what you say sometimes and what you post on Facebook. I've seen some uh, people in our church that here's somebody that died, a celebrity, who is, they hate Christ, they hate God, they are full of sin and all of that, and yet I've seen Christian people write about so-and-so, rest in peace. No, there is no rest for them. Not when they die and go to hell. Okay? The Bible says there's no rest for the wicked. And uh, they're tormented day and night. But that we, That's not thinking biblically. That's thinking emotionally, traditionally, and culturally. But it's certainly not biblical. We need to be aware of those kind of things and understand that. And uh, David says, My flesh shall rest in hope. I don't think that's an allusion to the grave or the casket or you know the body, you know ceasing from its labor. I think David is saying while I'm alive, my flesh, my being, who I am is resting in hope. He's not afraid to go to bed at night. He's not afraid to go to battle. He's not afraid. Have you ever read Psalm 91? That was David's testimony. And David realized he was protected that he was not going to go One second sooner than God was ready to take him home. And the same thing is true for you. You are indestructible until God is ready to take you home. There's nobody that can take you out. The thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. And if he would, he could. But he doesn't because he can't. That is the work of a sovereign God. And so we rest in hope. We lay down tonight in hope. You know, uh, it's amazing we tell little kids now I lay me down to sleep I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake Tim Hawkins is hilarious on that he said that is the creepiest thing to say to a little kid can you imagine now I lay me down to sleep I pray the Lord my soul to keep and should I die before I wake I pray the Lord my soul to take good night honey sleep dream sweet dreams you know Some of those things are just weird and creepy, aren't they? But you know, for believers, it's exactly right. You can lay down tonight, and you can have perfect peace to know that if it's your time and you die, that's in the Lord's hands. Those angels are going to show up to give you an escort to your heavenly home, and you are going to die in the Lord. Blessed are those, the Bible says, Who uh, die in the Lord. And that's what we want to do. And that's what we want all of our friends and loved ones to do as well. That's why we share the gospel. But David said this is something I can get excited about. My heart is filled with joy. And my whole being rejoices in all of this. Because it's going to be a release from the trials and the problems of life. Number three. Notice that David uh, faces death in faith. And if you look down um, at the next verse, um, verse 10, it says, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. You're not going to leave my soul in the abode of the dead. You know, some people think that that's what God does. I've got relatives that are part of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. And they literally believe, at my grandma's funeral, uh, they had uh, one of her elders from the Seventh-day Adventist church, spent about 45 minutes at a funeral telling us and trying to convince us that she was not in heaven, that she would not go to heaven, and that her soul was going to go down in the ground in that box, and she would be buried in in that, and her soul would stay in there. It's called the doctrine of soul sleep. Seventh-day Adventists believe it. So do Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way. Does the Bible teach that? No. The Bible says after you die, you either go to heaven or hell. And if your faith is not in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, and that's why I I really fear that my grandma is in hell because she trusted in her ability to keep the commandments and eat a a diet, an Old Testament type diet and those kind of things. And uh, the doctrine of that church is not sound and it's not good. And so it, it worries me about her. And uh, the idea that your soul stays with the body in the ground, they believe, and that's why they're called Adventists, they believe the Lord is going to return again, which they're right about that. And they believe that the trumpet's going to sound and the Lord will return, and only the righteous Adventists are going to be raised out of the grave. People that didn't eat pork, and people, you know, that that type of thing, who lived by the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament law and worshipped on Saturday, they called... Uh, What They call what we do. My my grandmother looked at her son, my dad, and looked at him in the eye and called him the mark of the beast because he worshipped on Sunday. And uh, so that tells you what they think about us. And um, anyway, they believe in soul sleep, that the soul stays there. And when Jesus returns, only the righteous are brought out and the rest of us will just stay there and then one day we'll be taken to hell where we are annihilated in a flash fire of some kind. Okay, that's not what the Bible says at all. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, even if it's me doing my best to keep all of the rules and all of the regulations. They're always tainted by sin. And I need a perfect sacrifice and a perfect Savior. And that's why my faith and hope has to be in Christ. And this word is very important, Christ alone alone is my hope in life and death. Well, David didn't know the whole story here, but he had been promised some things by God. And uh, verse 10 says, For I know that you will not leave my soul in Sheol. what Sheol? The grave, the place of the dead. So why do I not believe in soul sleep? Because the Bible says that God will not leave our soul in the grave. We're one of two places, heaven or hell. And for believers we're absent from the body, present with the Lord. We're not there. And it says um he would uh he would not be uh he would not abandon be abandoned in the grave is what he knows is going to happen, that he's going to be uh released he's going to be happy he's going to be joyous he looked forward to it and he was going to be with the lord i'm not sure he understood all about it but he understood enough to be happy about it and number four i'm trying to hurry and get finished here david faced all of this with a future and he said nor will you allow your holy one to uh see corruption okay that's interesting because it's pointed out in the Bible in the New Testament with people quoting these verses that David did die. And David's body did decay. It did, he did decompose. So what is this talking about? This is a prophecy, folks. The Holy One is not David. The Holy One is Jesus. And he said, you will not allow your Holy One to To see corruption. And that's why Jesus arose on the third day. He didn't see corruption. His body did not decompose or decay. You say are you sure about that? Absolutely positive about it. And I know that because I'm in good company. The apostle Paul and the apostle Peter. Both in the book of Acts. Use these verses we just read. To refer to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter did it in Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost. And uh, Paul did it in Acts 13. And uh, I'll quote Paul. It says, but God raised him from the dead. And uh, for, um, for many days, he appeared to, um, to those who um, had come up with him. And it goes on to say uh, that, Uh, During that time, he was testifying to all of them. And let me get up to the right place here. And then Paul actually says, and he quotes these verses that we're looking at tonight. And he says that you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. And then he makes this point. For David, uh, after he died then uh, what happened to him he died and he was buried and he did see corruption and he even said that his tomb is with us to this day and the picture that was on the title slide that we had tonight is uh, David's tomb in Israel and uh, then Paul goes ahead and makes the point that he did not let the Holy One see corruption and why is that? because Christ was raised from the dead as the conqueror of death held in the grave. And then Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that when we die, we at the resurrection are going to get a body just like Jesus has, a glorified new body, a body that is immortal. And so uh, these verses are used in the New Testament in two places to refer to the resurrection of Christ. So that part's not about David. That part is about Christ. And David was excited because he knew there was a future that was going to conquer death and going to take care of all of it. And that brings us to the last thing. David was going to be a follower. And it says, you will, um, you will show me uh, what the path of life. And I think of John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, without the way, there's no going. Without the truth, there's no knowing. And without the life, there's no living. Okay? And David knew he was going to be on that path. The path of life is Jesus, folks. And David was going to know that path of life. And he was going to be in the presence of the Lord to experience fullness of joy. And he was going to experience what it was like or God on earth had been at his right hand, but when he dies, he's going to be at the Lord's. And he said that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I think he's talking about the Lord Jesus, seated at the right hand of God the Father, is going to make heaven just something we cannot even imagine. In fact, Paul said the half has not been told. And that reminds me of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he for whom um, and by whom all things exist, that uh, in bringing many sons to glory should um, make him... uh, Let me get up here close to where I need to get. uh, The captain of their salvation. The captain. And uh, this translation says the founder of their salvation. Well, that makes sense because Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. But it also, when it says the captain of our salvation, the Greek word there means he's the trailblazer. And you know why I'm absolutely certain I'm going to heaven when I die? Because Jesus is the road and Jesus is the way. And I'm going to be taken out and I'm going to be on the glory road, the road of Jesus following the captain of my salvation. And David knew that whenever the time came for him to die, he was not going to be on his own. He was not going to have to be stumbling around. He was not going to have to be trying to read road signs. He was not going to have to remember how to get to heaven because he was going to be put on the way. And the way has been prepared by Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus Christ is the way. And so David could say, I can go to sleep in perfect peace. Someone asked General Stonewall Jackson why it was that he didn't panic when bullets were coming all around him and he said, because my faith in Christ teaches me to be just as comfortable in the battlefield as I am in my bedroom when I'm safe. And that is true for all of us. Nothing can touch you and nothing can harm you without the permission of the Lord. And you know that when he does that, he's promised it's going to be for your good. So count it all joy. And tonight when you go to bed, <coughs> just <coughs> pardon me. say to the Lord <coughs> that I know, should I die, <coughs> I'm safe. And I'm safe in the Lord because he is with us and he will take us to be where he is. Praise his name for that. That's what the lost world doesn't have and doesn't understand. But you've got it and you possess it because of Jesus Christ. Okay, will you take your uh, newsletter tonight and will you look and notice the... uh, Things that we have going on here. Some of them you want to be aware of. And you want to be praying for. And you want to participate in. And please look at your uh, prayer list. Okay. And we've got uh, three names that we want to send a prayer list here to tonight. And so uh, we want to invite you to come up and sign them. And you say, well, I don't know the people. Don't worry about that. The number of names looks impressive. And they know that people are praying for them. So uh, come on up and uh, be a part of that tonight. Eddie Wiley is on there because he just recently had ankle surgery and then today he had back surgery. He's supposed to come home tomorrow. And Tom Urey's on there because he's just been diagnosed with prostate cancer. So he's uh, got to see a doctor and go through uh, treatment for that. And then uh, Jan Davis is on there because we understand that uh, she's had cancer surgery and we would like to reach out to her we miss uh, seeing her so be sure that you do that but before we do let's bow for a word of prayer okay heavenly father as we think about all of this stuff that uh, we face and some of our fears and some of our sorrows and some of our misgivings i pray father that you would help us to see that uh, our life is planned by you And the number of our days according to Psalm 139 has already been determined even before we were born. And we're on a countdown. And I pray that all of us here tonight are ready for that because we've trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. And if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, I pray that tonight would be the night they would trust you. But for all who have... Help us to see things through different eyes, to see things like David did, and to understand what David understood, and we can understand it far better because we have the New Testament. Thank you for that, Lord. And as we minister to people who are going through the processes of death and dying, I pray that we'd be able to share the gospel with them and to give them hope. And I pray, Lord, that that word hope would really sink into our hearts. We have hope we are not abandoned we're not on our own we're not doing our best we're not trying our hardest to get it it's something that is given to us as a gift and we thank you so much for that and so whenever that day comes i don't know how it's going to be but i pray lord that it might be like it said in isaiah that we might go out not only with a shout of victory, but with a song of praise as we give you honor and glory. And we look forward to seeing you, Lord, and we say like the Apostle John, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and may we live and die in the grace of God and for the glory of God, and it's in his name we pray.